Hi, and welcome to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things dwarfy. I'm Jonathan. I'm Roland. I'm Tony. Hey. Hello there. I'm Threeto. And I'm Tony One. And we are so happy to have you guys on to kick off our second season of Dwarf Fortress Roundtable. We have a, if you will, a interrogation set up here. <laughs> That's relevant. <laughs> People have been keeping up with the devlogs. We actually have a segment every episode. We take a look at your devlogs since the last time that we had a show and uh, discuss them. Yeah, we love to speculate. Yeah, well, we can we can resolve some of the speculation <laughs> if you like. I mean, to the extent that that's possible. Sure. Um, I, I guess I should just start then. So, uh, going way back, like, how did you guys come up with the idea to tackle such an ambitious project like this, or did it start out small? Well, it started out with uh, Drag Slay, which is a game we made in uh, high school back in the '90s. So it's it's been in created it has been small snowballing since then and just through different versions we had uh the it got its the biggest was uh slave starmont god of blood which came out in the year 2000 yeah that's when we put up the web page i mean slave starmont god of blood was in earliest early access never really much of a game at all the the 3d the one with the 3d graphics uh, that was back when we had really terrible ideas about how to construct a project. We thought everything had to be built from the bottom up. And uh, that turned out to be an absolutely terrible idea. But we did have arm hair before Dwarf Fortress got arm hair. I mean, Dwarf Fortress waited. Yeah, Dwarf Fortress yeah. is a separate, was a separate, really separate idea for Slaves to Armok. And when Dwarf Fortress, when we decided to make it complicated is when we decided to combine the two, our really ambitious... 3D game and a ASCII-based game, which is just chosen because we wanted to be more roguelike, I guess. Is yeah, I mean, I mean, except, we were, except that it wasn't really rogue. We weren't trying to make a roguelike. We, we, we had all those curses games, right? We had yeah. Liberal Crime Squad, but also all the other terrible curses games you can find up on the web page. There's like 14 of them, and curses. That's like the uh, one of the display libraries for for ASCII stuff. And uh, we were just making another another silly little game. It was uh, Mutant Miner was going to be the the uh, this little ASCII game about digging up mutant like teenage mutant ninja turtles mutant mutagen canisters and growing arms so that you can dig faster. And you find like these pockets of slime. We never got around to this in Dwarf Fortress. You'd like dig into the mountain and find like a pocket of like ten blobs of slime or whatever. Um, that kind of pour out and you fight them and so forth. It was it was a and and closed burrows and where little ants are coming out, that kind of thing. And um very arcadey. It was kind of like dig. Yeah, I mean, it was, <sighs> yeah. Cool. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard of VGA Miner. It's like a a random game from the '90s you could download from EBSs, I think, or something. Was that still the BBS era? I don't recall. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the tail end of it. Yeah. And you'd go down this elevator and dig, and you'd find different minerals. I think there's also a subplot where you have to put a dynamite under the outhouse to get your wedding ring back or something. I did that in real life. Yeah. <laughs> we never got to that part. Uh, but uh, it's uh, it was still another weird little inspiration for the game. And stuff like Boulder Dash and stuff would be closer to what, what that game was going to be. It was just not a... Yeah, not not what it is today. Yeah, it wasn't until the two were combined. We said, 
Well, we might as well take Drag Slay and combine it with uh, Dwarf Fortress because both of them are getting, I mean, Slave Sarmok was already so complicated and Dwarf Fortress just seemed to be, um, I don't know, why did we decide to put the two together? Well, it was, it was, nice, yeah, go yeah, 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 I'm trying to, yeah, it's because it, it, because Mutant Minor was a failure. Like, we never released Mutant Minor because we were doing... It was, again, a really bad decision about the turn-based... It was a turn-based game, like a, like a roguelike. We kind of had to want to have this. And VGA Minor was this way, too. You just wanted to kind of move around one step at a time. and But we won multiple Minors for some silly reason. And so it would just flip control between them. And we're like, ah, we need to make this a real-time game. And then when we were saying, like, oh, we're going to make it a real-time game uh, with multiple people running around, that was when we we started having um, you know the idea that oh we could change the setting you know this could be about dwarves digging in a mountain, and then we had this epic sort of like three day phone call where it was it was I mean we slept a little bit in there it wasn't quite like when we were playing Transport Tycoon and didn't sleep, but was <laughs> back in the university we just we we took turns going to classes and just kept this game running forever and didn't sleep for. It was really, yeah, we got really sucked in the game badly. But the uh, the the Dwarf Fortress phone call, we were like, you know, oh, it could be about dwarves. They could be digging and they could have, like, lives and stuff. They could have workshops and keep little diaries. And, and they always die at the end. But then, oh, you could come in with an adventurer and go find the diaries and read about them. Go find the little goblets and bring them out of there. Um, and, and you'll... Um, you'll get a high score based on how many uh, diaries and crafts that you find to kind of give you the... And this was the birth of Adventure Mode. and Dwarf. So question, was this a phone call between the two of you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, was, I was living in California at the time, and Zach was up in Washington State. And um, so I called him right when Mutant Minor fell apart, and we just kind of talked through what was going on and, and kind of built this, this new idea and uh, yeah, the whole thing. So Armark was 3d ish. Were you thinking 3d as in uh, like, like Dwarf Fortress now is 3d with multiple levels, multiple Z levels or were we doing 3d more like uh, a FPS or a a third person game? Yeah, it was more of the latter. It was like, uh, it had 3d models It had triangles. It had like, uh, it had a, frame animation where you could walk on your hands or on your feet. It was really, really graphical. It was nothing like Dwarf Fortress. Yeah. Oh, you can go to bay12games.com slash armok uh, and get it. <laughs> it's got, and I think there may be screenshots still there. It's it's a defunct webpage. I mean, we intentionally made this webpage defunct because Dwarf Fortress is just the better game all around. And even as a historical artifact, this is this is really bad. Uh, it's just crafty and terrible, but, um, but yeah, no, it's, it's a 3d game, got keyframe animation and, um, you know, random, but it has randomly generated weird mammals and stuff with like, they're really bad procedural animations. This is not like, like nowadays people's like animations are really cool and have all kinds of inverse kind of whatever stomach couple of it's all the stuff well yeah but the main thing that that switched from like dwarf fortress obviously didn't carry on any of the 3d models but it what slave star had the dwarf fortress took over is 
the really detailed body simulation, like the way that all the the arms and torso are all different and the, all the internal organs get damaged and all that kind of stuff, all came from Slaves to Armok. Yeah, it was part of that that top, but like build from the bottom up. Yeah, instead of instead of having the world and stuff, world creation and civilizations and workshops and artifacts and stuff like that, Slaves to Armok instead had like, which way do you comb your hairs on your arm kind of thing. That might be a little too deep, huh? It was pretty bad. And we, we finally got there in Dwarf Fortress. Though. I mean, Dwarf Fortress has arm hair now, too. Thankfully. It's colorful and stuff. And, and, and in Dwarf Fortress, your nails grow. And, and your fingernails and toenails grow. I don't think we had that in, in Slaves to Armok. So we've actually surpassed the, uh, the silliness of the detail of the original game. Yeah, so that's, that was one of my questions. Like, how much is some of this, like, straight up you're planning it, or some of it you just think it would be kind of a fun idea, and you're like, you know what, we'll just toss that in. Oh, that's that's both, both really, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, because we have those dev pages, right, that go forward, you know, a decade or whatever, depending yeah. on how you want to look at it. And we've, we've, but we haven't really stuck yeah, we to keep, that keep, carefully. Yeah, we keep, we keep taking the detour from the devlog. It's like, we, uh, you know, we'll talk about something like this. This would be great to add this in. And, um, and Tarn will just take a detour and program it in. Yeah, I mean, look at the, uh, the villains release, for instance, was going to be the villains release. Um, and there are villains in it, uh, but there are also adventure mode parties, adventure mode pets, uh, uh, craft guilds. Um, the new organized religions, which also have shrines and things, the merchant companies, the mercenaries, night creature experimentation. Yeah, it's a, like really beefed up necromancers that take over half the world. Um, yeah, and the disturbed mummies do the same thing. Um, and there's probably some other, though all those are detours uh, from what we were you know, it was going to be a focus. So, yeah, I'd say it's like mainly Dwarf Fortress <laughs> is mainly detours. I think that's what adds to the, the I don't know, like the charm. Is that the right word? Or the fascination of it? You know, like you I have the beholder on that one. Yeah. I mean, you can tell it's like you guys aren't driven by some scrum team in, you know, San Francisco telling you to do daily stand-ups with them and customer features and stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're beholden to... The clock, so we're gonna we're gonna be a little more disciplined now that we uh, have steam coming up. Yeah, I mean, speaking of Scrum, we we have the uh, we we do the two every two weeks. We put a news post. That's that's practically Scrum. Yeah, yeah. you guys are actually really good about that for a for a, you know effectively a two man operation. You know, it, that's that's impressive that you can keep those things cranking out. Yeah, no, we we work all the time, so it's it's. I mean, there's always something to talk about. Um, not not 100 percent healthy but yeah no we put a lot of, <laughs> we put a lot of time into this i mean did you ever expect it to get as complex it is uh yeah because sleeves of armok was that was our that was what we were aiming for is to make a really really detailed simulation so dwarf fortress it, it just became so easy because there was no graphics so we didn't have to really uh worry about slowing down with the features it just was just became really really easy to add add more uh, detail. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the some of the details, like when you get to the specifics, I think maybe we'd be a little surprised at where we ended up going with like the information 
how it passes around and like the rumor system and stuff like we we wouldn't have necessarily expected to have like dynamic reputation systems based on incident reports and rumors and things yeah, like so many things that you guys can't see that's going in the background <laughs> that's like our biggest failure is not showing all the stuff going on just all happening in the background and knowing see it yeah the whole world generation e- production economy and stuff is all i mean it's it's pretty complicated but it's uh and it's happening week by week they're like invisible weeks in style side of world generation and everything happens according to these sort of schedules for milking and butchering and trading and producing every little thing. And there's specialization levels in the towns and so forth. And now that finally manifests a little bit through the uh, craft guilds that form is all based on these hidden specialization. Yeah. yeah, For, for an example, it's like those dwarf thoughts press Z um, from the unit list. And you just, oh, you guys probably know what this is, but you, you see all their thoughts about how they're, annoyed by rain and all that thing that giant paragraph just imagine that but in some other form that you can't see and then you'll begin to understand <laughs> what's going on with dwarf fortress there's just so much stuff that you guys can't see and that's you know that's what we got to try to do more is uh, so i have show yeah. that kind of stuff i have seen a couple code bases that were of good size and it really impressive that this hasn't collapsed under its own weight because the amount of unexpected and tangential things that you guys put into this game would, uh, you know, it would just blow up a lesser code base. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, that's practice for you, I guess. Uh, I mean, we have a graveyard of three, 400 games and some of them like literally just collapse and eventually you start learning enough tricks and learning your own mind well enough to know why things fall apart and then it stops happening. Yeah, this is what this is your 30 something of your yeah programming. Yeah, it's I mean, a lot of it. And um how did you guys even get to uh coding? Oh they our uh our dad was the one of the first people to introduce computers to sewage treatment plants. So he was there right when computers began uh hooking up to industry and stuff like that. And so he would go to Radio Shack and buy computers and show us how to program and stuff. So we're, it, it is, it is really kind of, you know, we had a leg up on the, it was really a live or a lifetime project. I mean, yeah, in terms of, of our, our exposure and education, we were quite spoiled uh, computer wise. Yeah, yeah, we were really trained from childhood, <laughs> from babyhood, how to do this. Do you write this in C? Uh, he, he, that's generous. I mean, some sort of horrible C, C++ hybrid amalgamation that doesn't, like, know what the standards are. But I like, I like when they brought the auto keyword. That was cool. So for your code base, I know at one time I'd read something like it was part of the collection of the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Did I get that right? Or was there some interaction there some, at some point? Well, they, they, down, they download every copy of the game, but they, we haven't uh, sent them the code. Um, we promised that when we pass away or stop working on the project, that they can have the code. Uh, but I expect that, you know, in those cases, assuming we're not murdered or whatever. Yeah, there's a murder clause. 
that everybody gets it. It's not just the museum. Um, in fact, we're trying to think of ways that we can open up pieces of the game uh, prior to passing on. Um, it's difficult because of the way that, like, if you just open source it, and then especially when you're when you've got a game up on Steam or whatever, uh, people will uh, put the game onto like other storefronts and not update it, and then your bug tracker is destroyed forever. There's there are reasons not to open source things that go beyond, um, you know, just just the uh, the kind of ideological stuff or um, you know open access stuff versus uh, commercial viability or or copyright uh but they're just kind of practical and technical issues with how things work um but we're trying to think of how to um circumvent some of that like for instance and this is totally not a thing that's that's necessarily going to happen in this form but if 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 we release like a world generator right just the world generator that doesn't have any of the, the dwarf logic or whatever um then that's that's the kind of feasible sort of thing that you could actually do right just think of how that that could be released and then used by people and people get to check it out and it would also let people see all that invisible so it's uh that kind of thing we're we're yeah we don't have any any concrete plan but um yeah i don't know if i've totally lost the <laughs> i think you got it i don't think i'd want to see the source not because like whatever but i just it's like sort of learning how a magic trick is done I don't know if I want those spoilers. Look, there's a difference between uh, a game or, or a piece of entertainment that you want to keep the mystery in and a, you know, a LibreOffice spreadsheet project or some utility that you're using to traverse the network. Those things, you definitely want to be, I mean, it's great to have those things open source so that the community can contribute to them and make them more solid pieces of software. Solid. But if this got open source, I mean, I mean, Look at look at NetHack. There are are mysteries that aren't in NetHack anymore because you know that of course not that it was ever not open source, but you can just deeply go into NetHack and find out all about the the for example the the wells. Yeah, but if you don't if you don't spoil yourself on NetHack, you don't even have a chance. Yeah, that's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Not that I've no I've I haven't I mean how far did we get? We just got to. Well, we got past Medusa. We got to the vibrating square. We didn't have any of the things we needed for the vibrating square, but we got to the vibrating square. Yeah, no, we're no good at that game. We're no good at most games. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Did you guys actually expect the game to become as big as it nowadays is, both um, in complexity and the player base? No way. No, we did not think it would get we uh we were surprised when people picked it up at first and then like when something awful took hold of it that was when it really started and yeah we had no before that we had no band base I mean, even slaves to armok we had what like 20 people that were even interested in it really yeah yeah there were there were maybe 200 total forum accounts and not all of those were active at the time and yeah just uh but this is like in the early 2000s when there wasn't stuff like reddit and something awful before that so there wasn't really a way to get a fan base the same way there is after that 20 years ago <laughs> <laughs> yeah i know all the i mean we were we were around like like we had our internet forum before like the rise of 4chan and stuff so we we watched all of that happen 
um, on our forum. Uh, and it's, I mean, it's been intriguing watching internet culture develop and stuff. And, uh, uh, but yeah, we had no idea what was even remotely possible, uh, in terms of like, um, yeah, the number of people that would be exposed to the game, play the game and so forth. And, um, yeah, on the complexity side, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess if you had told us, oh yeah, you're going to be working on this game another 20 years, <laughs> then we would have we would have been like, oh, okay, it'll be about that complicated. But uh, yeah, we didn't we didn't have any idea we'd be we had never had a game kind of go that long, so that was surprising. Do you know what the next release number is going to be? Um, is it still holding that toward the uh, toward the idea of this is kind of a percentage of what is the, you know, mythical version one. Uh, yeah. 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 I still have a piece of software uh, on the computer here that has a list of all the things that long ago we thought would be the, uh, the core features of the game. And that list is still good enough that um, we can, we can plug the new features in there and the version number goes up. What feels like an appreciable amount. Uh, I think, at some point that that list is going to have diverged too far from. Yeah. We're, we're kind of thinking maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it feels a little weird releasing, especially because steam can get a little picky about this, like releasing a version zero point thing uh, on steam and not being an early access. Um, so we may, we may have to go to a different system uh, for that, but uh, the classic version might keep the old number for a longer time. Zach broke up there a second, and I think that we might have missed a very important part. Did you say that you're thinking about going to version one? Uh, or version something, yeah. I mean, it could, I mean. Just, yeah, just for Steam. But this is this is all kind of the same. Or this is all under. We haven't yeah, decided we haven't decided yet. Yeah. anything yet. We're just, we're just, because uh, they're, they're you know, like, you know how there's a window that pops up and says, this is only an alpha and we're still working on it. Like, they want it, they, they will not let you really put the window. Yeah, they don't want that, do they? We all get it. You know, it's <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, if you're in early access, that's fine. But, but you, yeah, you shouldn't. And 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 it's not like the game is not like a game, right? So it's it's really complicated. Like, and there are other games on Steam that are not as finished as this game is. <laughs> so yeah, so it's it, yeah, we we're kind of a strange, unique project. So, um, like early access doesn't work for us because if you put Dwarf Fortress in early access it's never going to leave early access. Right. Uh, and, and so we just have to, I mean, why not call it now then? And so that's, that's the discussion that's ongoing. So how do you guys decide, you know, like, okay, we're going to take a pause here. We're going to release it. And then we're going to go on. Like, how do you, like, how do you look at the code and just be like, this is, this will be, this will work. It's based on our original, like, thoughts for the release usually like this was the villains release so we want to check off a certain number of boxes for villains and it's been a really circuitous strange ride along the way but yeah it's really not yeah. about villains really. <laughs> it's not even about villains really anymore that's ha that's like a small part of the release now but um still those core check boxes um and you also just have to kind of feel um like how long is it, how long has it been uh, since the um, since the last release, you just you, you we 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 all, we always go a little too long. Like the world activation release was twenty six months, 
this release is now at what 17 months um and not too much longer uh hopefully on this one uh especially because we have the um this 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 is a new kind of experience for us because we have these uh steam deadlines that kind of come about from having artists um like artists that want to work and they're 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 still working but they're a little bit blocked now by us not being able to dedicate our time fully to like doing the new display and stuff. Uh, so we really just have to get out of this release. So this one will be a little bit unusual. Um, I think uh, released a little early and some features delayed more than the infamous tavern games release perhaps, but uh, we're still, we're still figuring out exactly what we're going to push off. Uh, and we'll just get back to that stuff after steam. Hopefully, you know, unlike the tavern games, the infamously delayed tavern games have been delayed for what 10 years now or something. Uh, the, the um, we'll just get to this stuff after the steam release um, anything that we push off, but we will have to push some stuff. Off. Um, I always ask myself, uh, how did you come up with the different and quirky animals? Um, I showed the Dwarf Fortress to some of my friends. And they would be surprised about the, uh, the, the amount of weird animals in your uh, world. So the, the, if you're talking about the animal people, and this is what I always think about uh, fantasy games, it seems like most of the weird races in fantasy games, you just pop the head off of a human and put an animal head on it and call it a different race. So we have animal people for every single animal in the game. And so we could call those different races, um, but we don't. We just call them animal people. <laughs> and the weird animals we came up with, we came up with in one day. We decided to just draw pictures of weird animals we wanted in the game, and we made a whole bunch of them, and then that's how the magic was born. Yeah, so we got Drunians and Rutherers and uh, the, the Creeping Eyes and magma crabs those were all in the same tablet where we were just sitting in some chairs drawing pictures of weird animals and then we decided what they were after the fact and then the the final possible part of the question is like uh, all of the real world animals because uh, there's a couple hundred of those and they they came mostly from the animal sponsorship drive we had a list of 400 i think or something uh that and i could be getting these numbers off by quite a bit a lot of them but um the the uh, we just wanted kind of species coverage like i mean there's so many species obviously you're not gonna get species coverage but like a, a fair coverage of like families and orders and things so we looked up all the the orders or something um and a lot of the families within the more um popular orders and picked some representative animals and animals that we personally liked and stuff and put them in this giant list and then said you know if you if you contribute $10, you can pick an animal. And uh, Dwarf Fortress fans being interested in, in uh, things that are practical, like bees got like, I, I don't remember what it was, like 70 votes or something. <laughs> Some ridiculous <laughs> number of votes because they wanted beekeeping. And then the next, the next one after that was also completely practical. I, I don't remember what it was. There was a series of practical votes. Um, and then, yeah, then we finally started getting the capybaras and things that you'd, you'd like 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 other popular creatures 
Um, but we ended up putting in, uh, it was a very popular thing. We ended up getting like, you know, several hundred votes and uh, ended up putting in like 213 animals, something like that. I don't, I don't quite recall. Um, and uh, that's how we got all of the real worlds. Yeah, we really wanted to do another animal sponsorship drive for like extinct animals or ice age animals or something like that. But we decided to be greedy. Yeah, it was the uh, yeah, it reminds me of some of the, the animals that we put in where people were like putting in links to like conservation organizations. I think the, the golden lion tamarind, maybe um, those are still alive. I don't know that we've lost any of the dwarf fortress species yet, but um, yeah, we may be the last place where some of these animals exist. I recall we had a pretty at length discussion on the podcast about how you would package mosquito brains and, and if you would have mosquito brain flour, <laughs> would you sell barrels of mosquito brain to, uh, to elves? Right? Yeah. They must get upset at you for that. Um, but, but yeah, then what did, yeah, it's deeply silly. There's not enough, uh, not enough checking and safety in the, in the code for dissections and things. But, you know. Oh, and that reminds me, Krug Smash brought up whenever we had him on, he said that you guys must have a deep down, uh, you know, animosity toward the idea of elves. So how did elves end up becoming so, um, so... Uh, well, the, the elves, we don't really have a, a, a dislike of elves, but it's just they're so annoying with their with their uh, their love of trees and stuff like that, where it just they're the way that they. They're annoying, let's put it that way, but I mean, we made them into cannibals, we we uh, <laughs> we, uh, you know, we have our own elves and I guess they're just kind of a nemesis. Uh, dwarves, dwarves like industry, elves like nature you're at each other so yeah i mean i mean some of i mean i I remember we were writing the the dialogue for the uh the the trade like the negotiations about how how many trees you're going to cut down and stuff and uh, i think it was right at that point we're just like you know well we have to make this antagonistic and so we just made them as annoying as possible um through the lens of like what they would say they say all these stupid offensive things to the dwarves right um, and, and I think that happened before they became cannibals. So they became kind of more interesting afterward. They, like with the original release, they were just annoying. Um, although, I mean, there was a time when they also animated trees and stuff, uh, and the trees would turn into monsters and attack. Um, and they had arrows that they shot at you. And was this ever in a released version? Maybe not. With the arrows that they shot turned into spiked wooden balls and blew up, and a little chunk flew out of the dwarf. We used to have, we used to have, yeah, that might have been only on the. No, no, you know it it happened. I mean, no, no, no. We had, we had, uh, we had spiked balls. That's where that's why there's a spiked ball trap, is because the spiked ball was an item that was originally a uh, a wooden arrow that turned into a spiked ball, Um, but. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that made it to the release. I think we had to cut the... Because there used to be, like, the undead invasion used to always happen on year five, the way back when the the map was 2D and went to the right, like it went water, chasm, magma, uh, as you dug to the right. There was also always, like, an a, a undead invasion on year, I don't remember, five, six, seven, and there was always a wizard that came <laughs> before the the invasion 
and ask for one of your dwarves to be their apprentice. And if you sent off the dwarf, which meant losing one of your good dwarves, um, then the invasion wouldn't happen. Um, and if you if you refused, then you would get the invasion. It was just these these really strange little things before um, the game really turned into like the full on sort of history simulation that it that it is. So after so long, every every fortress had its Bilbo. Yeah, it's exactly exactly what we were thinking. It's like this is this is the the Bilbo slash Frodo moment of the uh, of the of the universe. Without any copyright. That's going to do it for this episode of Dwarf Fortress Roundtable. I'd like to thank Tarn and Zach Adams for stopping by again. We'll have the rest of our interview with uh, Toady One and Three Toe on the next episode of Dwarf Fortress Roundtable. I'd also like to say that we sure do appreciate everyone tuning in and listening to our podcast. Uh, we're starting up a second year now of the program, and we are really looking forward to having some really great guests and some great conversation. And <laughs> we're really looking forward to trying out the next release of Dwarf Fortress. So until next time, this is Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things dwarfy. We'll talk to you later. This has been Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things dwarfy. You can find all our past episodes at dfroundtable.com. Please stop by and leave a comment or suggestion in the comments section of this episode. While you're there, you can subscribe to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable or find us in the podcast service of your choice. Music is Sky Q. Ellen, composed by Kevin McLeod. You can find Kevin McLeod's music at incompetech.com. You can find a link in the show notes. This is a nice podcast. All craft storeship is of the highest quality. It is decorated with pig bone and encircled with bands of nether cap. This podcast menaces with spikes of nice and emerald. On the podcast is an image of Rakust Bodice Splatters, the dwarf in Nice.